What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 84 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders, find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today we get to sit down with a gentleman who was my very first guest. I remember the night I sent out the uh, email to say, hey, you don't know me. And he responded, hey, absolutely, I'm all in. He just started his own podcast called the Sports Spectrum Podcast, and it's quickly become a go-to for so many, especially in the athletic world. After his years at ESPN and his incredible career there, Jason Romano has now become a statesman in the podcast world for uh, Christians and and followers of Christ in the athletic world. And man, there's just truly not a nicer man in the business. So Jason has not only written his first book, Jason now is not just a podcast host. He's come out with his second book, The Uniform of Leadership. And it's hitting the markets as we speak. And I'm telling you, it is one you're going to want to get put your hands on because it is it is contextually something that just makes all the sense in the world. And it comes from a guy who lives it. So I can't wait for you to listen in to this incredible conversation today. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my time with the one and only incredible guy, Jason Romano. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining me again today on Lynch with a Leader, a repeat guest. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a Hall of Fame category, Jason. Let me tell you something, Mike. I am honored to be back. I'm thankful that you uh, you invited me back, and so good to see you and talk to you because it's uh, it was you know what three years ago, two That's years right. ago when you and I first yep. met, and I'm just honored to be here with you. So thanks for having me. Well, literally, when you came on as the very first guest. I thought you might be the only guest we ever had. So <laughs> that we actually made it past that's a miracle. It's, I, mean, I hear you. You know, you never know when you start these worlds of the broadcasting and the podcasting that, you know, is this going to be heard by anybody? Are people actually going to say yes and want to be interviewed on my show? I hear you, man. I, I understand that. But I was honored to be the first guest. I'm certainly honored to be back. And you're doing great things with this show. I, I am a subscriber, I'm a listener. And, uh, you know, when I go out for my walks early in the morning, I got about four or five podcasts that are in my rotation and Lynch with a leader is one of them. So well, I appreciate okay. that. Well, that, that goes ditto. I feel the same way about sports spectrum. Did you have any idea when you got sports spectrum podcast up and going a couple of years ago, you, how many episodes, in fact, I was looking on this morning, how many episodes are you on now? How many do you have? In, it's that 500 done? plus. I don't even uh, know the exact yeah. number, but it's over. <laughs> It's really crazy to even say that out loud, but it's over 500 plus episodes in three and a half years, basically. So what have you learned? What's been the biggest thing you've learned from talking to so many of the amazing coaches, athletes, leaders that you've talked to? What are what's something you've learned from that? 
Well, the idea, what I've learned from doing this show is that there are so many conversations to be had. I, I honestly thought we might run out of guests, Mike. I'm like, who else are we going to have on? Yep. And yes, we've had on a lot of repeat guests on Sports Spectrum when you do 500 interviews, but I bet you 400 plus are un unique interviews of different people. So we've had amazing amounts of people that we've talked to uh, on all levels, right? It's nice to have Tony Dungy come on yep. and share his story or Benjamin Watson or some of these big, big name people. But to find the sort of diamonds in the rough or the stories that uh, you don't know about and somebody comes and sends me an email and says, hey, you need to talk to this guy because they're battling cancer. They went through COVID-19. They played football in college. And I'm like, I don't know who this person is, but that's OK. Like we have this platform now to be able to talk to people of all different levels. And certainly we'd like to have the names on and the people that you've heard of. Uh, but the stories, man, the yeah. stories, I'm sure you've seen the same thing, you know, just the different stories that exist that God continues to use through all of these mediums that are willing to go to those stories. You know, that's one of the things I've noticed, too. And I've really paid attention to a lot of shows who of people of faith. And this is not mm. a judgmental spirit of mine. It's really just an idea of I've seen a lot of people who might sprinkle in a little bit of faith here and there. And I'm okay with that. You know, I, you know, you got to do you and whatever is best for your world. But for us, we want to bring the name of Jesus back into the conversation. That's mm -hmm. our goal. That's been really the motto of Sports Spectrum, uh, the mission statement of Sports Spectrum's podcast for the last few years. We're not intentionally forcing faith on anyone, but this name, this this person, the name of Jesus, is so important to so many people, especially those in the sports world that why wouldn't we want to do that? And so I'm just honored and thankful. And the learning process through this is really that there are a lot of people who love Jesus That's and right. certainly love sports. And to be able to use the platform of sports to share a great message, the message, if you will, of the good news is just, I mean, it blows my mind, really. You know, you you left a, a really incredible career at ESPN. You in, in in the book we're going to talk about in a few minutes. You talk a lot about that career. Yeah, you left a, a career with a with a with a sports icon to step into a ministry world that is a little bit different. What have you learned about Jason Romano in the process of doing that, of stepping out and becoming an author and a speaker and a podcast host? Uh, what have you learned about Jason in this process? About me? Uh, I See, I'll go back to God because it's it, the, the, the motto, the, the verse that we stand on in our ministry is the increase, John 3.30. Mm -hmm. He must increase, we must increase, what I, decrease. What I've learned about me is probably that I'm best serving others when I'm decreasing myself and increasing Christ. And... I can say that I did that at ESPN and certainly I, I tried to, and there were times when i probably was, was better at it than others. Um, but in the process of these opportunities, like you said, between hosting a podcast and writing books and speaking and things like that, my goal in all that, even though myself, maybe the profile, whatever you want to call it from an outside perspective has maybe increased a little bit. During all of this, it's a constant daily prayer to God saying, listen, this is not about me. I do not want to increase here. I want you to increase. Mm. And in that, I've seen 
God just do whatever he wants to do. And in my case, I say that word again, I'm blown away by the fact that he has put me on a platform where I didn't really think it could ever go. If you want to really think about it from a, from a worldly perspective, because when you work at ESPN, like that's the platform. That's right. So even though I wasn't on air, I was a producer, it still created an amazing platform. And certainly I probably don't have a lot of the opportunities I have now. I know I don't have a lot of the opportunities that I have now if I hadn't worked there, but the platform has apparently increased uh, for me, just in the sense of being able to speak to more people mm. in different audiences, by the way, too, Mike. And so uh, that has been something that I've learned through this is really just trusting in God and seeing him increase mm. and then him allowing me to increase my platform. And the whole point of the platform is not for me to sit here and say, look at me, although I get caught up in that just like everybody does, because we're all born with a selfish nature in some ways. But the real process of all of this is just letting the Lord shine and let his light shine and let him be the star and let me be any kind of vessel or voice or whatever I can be in my little world to point people back to him. Which is a lot of the passion of the book, isn't it? I mean, when you it think really about the is. uniform of leadership, that's really the, so basically what you're saying is the uniform I've put on is he increases, I decrease yeah. And what inspired you to take that story and to put it out? You know, it, it's it's good to have that as a platform, but what challenged you to make that a book where we have a uniform that we're putting on as a leader? Talk to me about that. What? Came, how did that come about? Yeah, so, I mean, honestly, Mike, I think you know my story. I, I do not like writing books. <laughs> My goal five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago was to never be an author. It's not something that I, I ever strove or, you know, was striving to accomplish in my life. I will say this, if I was ever to write a book five years ago, if you came to me, Mike, and said, Hey, Jason, you know, you ought to write a book. What do you think you'll write on? I would have said this, I would have said, okay, the con the consistent question that I get from so many people is tell me what it was like to work at ESPN. Give mm -hmm. me a story. Give me the people that you met. What was that like? And I, I remember sharing through, at the time, more Facebook and then eventually Twitter, just, hey, I got to hang out with this athlete today or whatever. Uh, and people would say, oh, you have the coolest job. I can't believe you got to hang out with that person. And so I have these stories that I have accumulated over the years. But that doesn't just mean I'm going to write a book about stories from ESPN. I really wanted it to be focused on something else, to have a purpose in it, to, to help people and not just to be like, hey, here's a story of me hanging with Tony Dungy. Yep. Uh, even though that day was an impactful one for me, it's, it's just a story if it's not helping people or having some kind of application to put for them in their lives, right? And so the idea came after we wrote the first book, Live to Forgive, Steve Copeland and I, uh, who was my co-author and is my co-author on both books. Him and I were just brainstorming probably a couple of years ago in the summer. And he said to me, Hey, you want to take a crack at a second book here? If you do, I'd love to be, you know, with you again. And I said, if I take a crack at a second book, I need you with me. You Stay will be you. with me. You will be with me <laughs> if, if, if I can have anything to do with it. And so uh, we started brainstorming and I said, the idea I have is some kind of I called it initially, the book title was called Tales from the Car Wash, which ESPN, if you remember me telling you, Mike, when we first met, 
ESPN has a thing called the car wash, which has nothing to do with cars or water or, you know, sponges or soap or anything. It's literally just what we call a day at ESPN for wow. a celebrity or an athlete that comes through and goes on all the different shows. And so my initial idea was tales from the car wash. And we'll just tell these important stories of people that I spent time with and the lessons that I learned from the times I spent with them, which in essence is what the book is now. But as we were writing, and we actually handed in a first draft, we handed in certainly the book proposal. And once it got picked up by Kriegel Publishing, we sent in a kind of a first draft to them. And they came back and changed the whole title and had an idea to call it the uniform of leadership. And I said, ah, I don't know if I like that. Because when you're, when you're drawn to a title yeah. for a book, you kind of stick to it, right? And so it's like, no, I like my idea better. Because the first book, Live to Forgive, that was the title that I had initially from the very beginning and it stayed and it stuck through and it's been, it's been good since, but this, this second book was one where I was like, I don't know the uniform of leadership. And then they started explaining the idea of what the uniform was a little bit. They didn't have the full thing hashed out either. And then Steve and I took that title and we were like, all right, this is going to be the title. What, what can we do here? And so we just started talking and the mm. idea of the, using the uniform as a metaphor of the way that we can go about every single day in being leaders just clicked. I mean, for me and Steve, when we started going through this and we were both like, wait a minute, there's something awesome here that Kriegel did that implanted this idea of putting on the uniform. And so for me, the uniform is, you know, using a baseball metaphor for my my sport and my team, I'm a New York Mets fan. So I put on the Mets uniform and on the front, you got the Mets logo and on the back, you got the name for, for my instance, we'll use Daryl Strawberry, who's a friend of mine, right? So on the back, you got Strawberry and 18 and on the front, you got Mets. And every day we wake up, we put on a uniform mm. and what are we going to do with that uniform? Who are we going to play for that day? We have to make a choice. And are we going to play first for the name on the back or on the name on the front? And to me, the best leaders are the ones that play for the name on the front first. That's right. They put others first. The name on the back can still get glory. The name on the back can still get the praise if you want it to. But man, if you put others first, if you put your team first, this, by the way, this is not, you know, brain surgery here, Mike, you know, this, we've seen this in sports, especially those who play for the team first, usually have the most success. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like those who will humble, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Right. Yep. It's really from, from the Bible when you think about it and, the athletes that have played for the name on the back first, unfortunately, in this day and age, we've seen a little bit more of that. They might have amazing statistics and make all-star games and maybe even make some money, but they're experiencing the team success that there's something about when you come together and see everybody doing well and, and, and having, you know, be able to take a little piece of, of the success that you have. There's something really gratifying. I know you know this as a pastor and a coach when you see others succeed. Right. And when that and, and when you put as a coach, when you put that other person, when you put that team in place, and John Gordon's a great friend of mine. He's certainly been on your show and it is a good friend of yours. And just thinking the idea of what John's loving, serving, caring model that yep. he's talked about in The mm -hmm. Carpenter, which is one of his books, we instilled that into our book in the same way. And that's basically what the uniform of leadership is. Well, it's such a powerful statement. In fact, one of the comments you made in the book was the point of all this is the very makeup of the, of the player space is others focused. Has to be. It, 
do you think it's hard? You've met tons of leaders. What separates those that are back of the Jersey focused and what separates those that are front of the Jersey? They're others. They're playing for somebody other than themselves. What are separators you found with leaders that you've met and talked to that makes one others focused? When you, when you put others first, right. Others focused, um, the people who you're putting others first in your life, they're going to go to bat for you, go to battle with you, no matter what. You know, I, I always say, and this is not anything new, but people aren't going to care about what you know until they know that you care. Yep. That's somebody else's quote. I took that. I have no idea who originally said it, but it's true. Yep. I'm not going to go to battle for someone most, most of the time. I might still, you know, be a loving, serving, caring person, if you will, but if I know that person cares about me and I saw this at ESPN, I had some, some people in my, in my journey there who, uh, who were just people like co who were coworkers, people I worked with, but I had people who genuinely cared about me. And when I saw that, man, I was going to do anything I could for that person, anything. And, you know, Carol uh, Mayer Veroniak, as I'll, I'll throw her name out, was my boss at ESPN for a good co-worker and boss for at least seven years or so. She's the best boss I ever had uh, at ESPN, no doubt. And Carol was nine years or eight years or is eight years younger than me. When she got the job to be my boss, she was 26 and I was 34, I think it was. I, I had a hard time with that initially. Cause I thought I was supposed to be the boss and I was supposed to get the job. I write about this in the book, yep. but then Carol, instead of trying to act like she knew it all and she was in charge and she was young, obviously when she got that role as manager for the, the position that I was in at ESPN. But from day one, Carol said, I have your back. I care about you. I, you know, she's the one that allowed me to switch my hours to stay home with my daughter mm -hmm. to get her on the bus every day when Sarah was younger. You know, she's the one that allowed me to just go take care of my family when we had some, some family emergencies and didn't even bat an eye. She just said, go do what you got to do. She's the one that got us together every year around Christmas and would have us write notes to each other about what we liked about each other in our group. Like there were things that Carol did and I have no idea who influenced her that I just saw that she cared about me. Mm. And that's what separates the people who put others first, because you see the person genuinely caring about you, man, you're going to go do anything for them. And that's the type of person Carol was and Carol is. I watched Carol. Here's another side note too. I watched Carol go from a me centered person mm. selfishly in her life to a, a God centered person and a Jesus centered person to an other centered person in her journey in the six, seven years that I worked with her. And she loves the Lord now. She's had a, a wonderful family, married, has three kids, and just doing great things still at ESPN. But she'll tell you, like, everything changed when she began a journey of faith because she realized um, that it wasn't about her, that it was about a bigger, a bigger purpose. That's so good. I, you know, and it's so easy to start out with our jersey being worn right. And you give the illustration <laughs> of the book of flipping the jersey. You know, we we yeah. ascend to the right seat. We ascend to the position, the title, head coach, CEO, manager, whatever it is. We ascend yeah. to that title. How do we notice when we've lost who we're playing for? What, what's a way a leader could go 
man, I don't, I want the, 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 the engine light. I want my engine light to come on when I'm playing for me, not for others. What, what would you, what, what's a tip you would give them, Jason? I think when you're so focused on achievement for yourself, the raise, the, the title, the stature, that's when you really got to do some, some spiritual surgery, you know, some heart surgery, as they say, inside of yourself and see where, where's your mind, where's your brain, where's your heart here. I remember in 2008, for me, uh, I got caught up in that, you know, I was chasing the corporate ladder at ESPN, and I was training to become a producer, um, which is sort of a general title. But at ESPN, if your title is producer, that's a pretty high level, that's a mid management level. Um, on your way up to coordinating producer, senior coordinating producer, and you're really working your way up the ladder. And so I was trying to become a producer. And I remember uh, this was around the same time that Carol had got the manager job that I just told you about ahead of me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to focus on being a producer here. And I remember thinking, all right, why was I focusing on being a producer when I look back? Mm. It really was about the stature, the title, and the money. To be quite honest, it was a very big raise. It was a 25, 30 grand a year raise if you could get yourself to producer one. And so I was so focused on that job. And I remember training and getting opportunities to, uh, you know, to go and, and produce. And I did produce Outside the Lines. There's a show that is still on, Bob Lee, the legendary Bob Lee, yeah. um, and got to produce his show with Bob. So I had all these amazing opportunities, but I was so tunnel vision focused on trying to climb the corporate ladder that I was forgetting about the team that I was actually mm. working with on a daily basis uh, to try and be as the best talent producer, which was my title at the time that I could. And so Carol and three or four of the other teammates that we had at that time in our, in our group all saw me focused on becoming a producer, but I was neglecting the work that I was doing in the moment there. So I was so focused on trying to achieve and go to the next level yep. I completely lost who I was and what my purpose was. And again, it wasn't until Carol got that job. And then I saw my mid-year review. I write this in the book. Yep. In May of 2008, I got, we every year ESPN would do a mid-year review and then a year-end review around October. And the mid-year review is kind of like, here's where you're going. Here's where you need to improve on. Here's what you're doing really well. And then the year-end review is, here's how you did. And here's your potential raise if, if we give you a raise or a promotion. That mid-year review was the most scathing mid-year review I've ever had in my entire life, especially at my time at ESPN. Jason is, is selfish. Jason is looking at this job and forgetting the work that he's doing right now. Jason is not doing well. And if he, things don't change, um, this isn't going to, this isn't going to be good. It, I still have it somewhere in the house because I, I remember saying, I'm going to save this and hopefully look back at it and, and laugh or learn from it. Uh, and I learned from it. I'll tell you that. Cause I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, Mike, and this is kind of like in, when you go into like a high school and you remember being in high school, when you get a bad grade, yep. you're either just going to keep having bad grades and say, Oh, that's the teacher's fault or these other people's fault, or you're going to take ownership of it and you're going to learn from it. And basically that was my F, you know, at ESPN, that one grade, if you will, in May of 2008. Mm. And I remember from that moment, I said, I'm just going to focus on being great where I am. You can use the adage, bloom where you're planted, which yep. is another story in the book and chapter. But that idea of just being great where you are, not getting so caught up in trying to achieve the next thing, but serving where you are. And when I did that, 
things started changing at ESPN for me. I started being team focused and opportunities for me to go up the corporate ladder, if you want to call it that, actually happened. But they didn't happen because I was chasing them. They happened because I was just focused on trying to do the best I could where I was. And I think the people who lose that focus on others first and play for that name on the back, put the uniform of leadership backwards, if you will, that's when they're so focused on themselves. And I think that's where you can really get in trouble. You know, that thought is so powerful because it's so easy to get destination. And you talk about it, destination focus. We get destination oh, focused. Yeah. And, and really, so, uh, so a person's a believer and they go, okay, I believe I've been put where I've been put for a reason bigger than me, but yet I get destination focused. And we're a terrible representative of the Lord oh in gosh. that circumstance. I mean, we ought to yeah. just take the jersey off, right? Yeah, completely. Is that like, where you were? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would have just been best not to wear any jersey. Yeah. Wake up that day and start trying to play for Romano instead of for talent producer ESPN or whatever you want to put on the front of the jersey. Yes. Uh, I think mm-hmm. for me it was it was one of those moments where I look back and I realize that uh, and listen, I'm not saying I don't struggle with this now, by sure, the way. Sure. Destination focus. I think about where is this going to be in two years? How are we going to get more people to listen? Who are the guests I want to have? How many people do we want to listen? I look at the numbers for the podcast that I host every single day. I'm just, that's how I'm driven. And I, and I, it's a probably an unhealthy way for me still to, to do things. But I am a destination guy when I think about it. But when I just stay in the moment, like right now, I'm not worried about anything else. I'm worried about talking to Mike Lynch on Lynch with a Leader. It just allows me to be focused on you, focused on what I want to say, and not thinking about everything else. And I think the destination focus is actually okay in your brain to have, but don't don't get caught up in getting so focused on that that you miss all of what's happening right now. And for me, I was missing what was happening when I was so focused on the destination at ESPN, I was missing everything that was happening right in front of me, including my home life, being a dad, being a husband. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember taking extra hours and staying later and, and all these things, trying to focus on getting this job as a producer. I remember getting called on New Year's Day of all days because somebody had called in sick. Hey, Romano, can you come in and help produce outside the lines? I was like, yes, at a drop of a hat. And I want to be a good teammate, of course, but I can't neglect my first priorities mm. as a leader, which is husband and dad. If I forget those things, it doesn't matter what I do at ESPN because that's that's short-lived. That's temporary. This stuff here, me as a husband, me as a dad, that's eternal impact right sure. there. And I got to remember that. So definitely being others-focused is hard, but it's it's where I strive for every day. You know, you, you think about even the life of Christ you do such a great job in the book to not only telling great ESPN stories, but telling some really, really good stories of scripture, which I think is so important for leaders to go, man, the Bible isn't just a history lesson. It is an, a living, active life lesson for us. Yes. And you think about Jesus. He was destination focused, right? He knew who was coming for the cross, but there Absolutely. was nobody better about being in the present. I mean, he's, he's on the way somewhere and somebody grabs the hem of his garment and he stops. Yes. He knew he knew how to be present. And I think so so many times as leaders we we miss and you do such a great job talking about the present because in the present 
is where we really build togetherness, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. where, and you talk about the importance of togetherness on teams and teams playing for each other. And you talk about Nehemiah in it and you talk about the fish gate. Uh, Nehemiah is my favorite. He's one of my favorite Old Testament characters. And yes. he's just such a great, talk to everybody about the fish gate and what you watch Nehemiah do in Nehemiah chapter three. You really highlighted that really well there. Yeah, I think when I, it's funny because Nehemiah is not something that I would ever have thought would be in a book, that's for sure. And certainly putting Nehemiah uh, as the character, you know, Jesus makes more sense, right? Yes. <laughs> and he does. And he's the guy. People will be like, oh, there's Nehemiah. Or there's Jesus. That makes sense. Nehemiah, maybe not. But the idea is in the book of Nehemiah, and I'm pulling it up because I don't have it memorized yeah. on my phone, but the idea of they're building uh, and putting together this building and they need to have each other yep. to work together to get this thing done. And as I'm reading it, I'm usually reading the Bible, trying to come up with some super spiritual, you know, thing that can implement into my life. And then I'm going through and watching them just build this, this large structure. And it just says next to him is Hananiah. One of their perfumers made repairs as they restored Jerusalem, the broad wall next to them was Raphaniah. Next to him was Jedediah. And you realize the next to him is what the informal leadership in many ways is about. It's about right. community. It's about knowing that you can do all you can do as good as you can do for yourself, but you need, we're built for community. That's we right. need each other. And I realize any success, if you want to even use that word that I've had in my life is a result of others helping me along the way. It's nothing that I've done, starting with God. And then with these people who've given me these opportunities, who cared about me, who've showed me that I have the potential in me to do whatever I'm doing or or trying to go after, you know, I even think of right now and trying to host a podcast. I have no idea if I'm any good at this, but people are listening. But my boss, Steve Stenstrom said to me, I believe in you and you can do this, even though Mm -hmm. I hadn't hosted anything for my entire broadcasting career until three years ago at 42. Suddenly I'm a host of a, of a sports show that has a million downloads. Okay. But that's Steve believing in me. So it's not about anything I was able to accomplish. It's about him giving me an opportunity. So it really is a next to him, next to her, next to him type of mentality that we can look at as leaders and say, who's in this with me and who can help me and who can I help to to better themselves? You know, I remember thinking about ESPN. There was a lot of cutthroat uh, lifestyles. People were in it for themselves. And it was, it was, people were always a little worried or skittish if they were helping someone else, because they might take your job. Wow. To me, the best leaders are the ones that are helping someone else to replace you. You know, you have to set the next standard of who's going to come behind you. And hopefully that means that you're going to the next level. So that person can come up behind you. But if they happen to leapfrog you like Carol did with me, then that's okay. That there's a purpose in that too. And if Carol doesn't leapfrog me, if I don't get that F on my mid-year review, she doesn't become my boss, I don't get an opportunity to go and do some of the social media and different things that I got to work on. You know, who knows where all this ends up? You can just see God's hand in all of this. And, you know, those that are not focused on serving and loving others, I believe that they're halting the really true uh, idea of what success is uh, in leadership. I really do. In and there's no togetherness if your front of your jersey has your name on it. Nobody wants to work with you. Nobody, they'll only do it because you're a positional leader and you're making them, but there's no togetherness like Nehemiah created 
Yeah. There's, there's, there's well, Mike, none think of about that. How, think about how weird that looks if you put a uniform on and the names on the front. Yep. Just thinking from a, from a, just a sports, per, per, you know, uh, observation here. Just think about anybody who listens to this and loves sports. How weird is it to see the name on the front of a jersey? Pretty weird. That's kind of really what it's like. If you're going out there every day trying to play for the name on the front of the jersey, it's diff- you can clearly see something's off. Something's right. different. And so that's really the best way I can explain it is when you put the name on the back, you put the name on the front that you're going to work for, or you're going to serve every day. Uh, that's where the true success, which is what the subtitle of the book, Lessons on True Success, come from. I really believe that. You know, you did a really good job in the book talking about a rock solid identity. You know, you, you, you did it in your chapter that, you know, the uniform of rock solid identity or sinking sand identity. Can a person have a rock solid identity outside of a relationship with Christ? Would it be possible to have a, they can have an identity. Could it be a rock solid? What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All on all other ground is sinking sand, and I don't know the song. I don't. I've I've heard that enough. Pretty times. good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it rhymes, right? Uh, <laughs> so good. I can tell you that. That's where I go back to. Yeah. Um, you know, and this, I don't want this to come across as judgmental either for people who aren't people of faith. Can Can you be a person who's not a Christian and be an amazing leader? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Will Farrell is in my book, and I don't think Will is a, a man of faith. I could be wrong. Who knows? I don't know him that well. But Will Farrell was an example of somebody who had a leadership trait that I thought was a really great leadership trait, which was just to have fun and be funny. I think that's important to be lighthearted sometimes. And so I think there are leadership traits that you can take from people maybe who aren't Christians, but I do not believe, my, my opinion that you can literally place your life on firm, solid ground unless you take yourself out of the equation and you invite Jesus into your life. I really believe that. And I thought for me, that's when my ground didn't go to sinking sand anymore. It really stayed firm and focused on who Christ was. It allowed me to handle and weather storms differently than I would have if I didn't have that solid ground. I would have sunk. That's the whole point of of the line is, on all other ground is sinking sand. When I place my faith in anything else other than Jesus, it becomes idolatry and I just sink to the ground. And honestly, that's the backwards uniform. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> really right. The backwards uniform is the world, the name on the front. Yes, it's the team that you're serving and the people that you're serving. But in all honesty, for me, the name on the front is always Jesus Christ. And then the name on the back is everything else. Yep. And I start with him. And I go from there. And that's been this the rock solid foundation that I've been able to, to discover that works and has, you know, not just works for me, but has worked for many, many people who I know who are great leaders, but also men of faith that they rely on something bigger than themselves. And that for me is Christ. How does that affect leadership? So when I have a solid identity and that that part of my uniform is correct, how does that affect how I lead? And the people you've looked at and the people you've watched and interviewed and seen, what would you say? Well, I would say the way it affects my leadership is I go back to who the greatest leader is, you know, and I, I talk about Jesus coming and he's, he's coming and, and, and bringing his kingdom to earth, right? He's the son of God and all these people are seeing him and it would not have shocked anyone if Jesus came and said, listen, I'm the son of man. 
God's my father and you're here to serve me. Mm. So come serve me. And it would be like, okay, that makes sense. You're Jesus. If you really are who you say you are, we serve you however you want, King Jesus. But that's not what he said. In both Matthew 20 and Mark 10, and I'm sure it's in other places too, but those are the two I have up. Jesus says, and he calls himself the son of man. So he's not neglecting who he is. But he says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve mm. and give his life as a ransom for many. To me, that's what leadership is. And that's the foundation. That's the identity. When we can come and say, okay, the guy that I worship, the man that I worship, the, 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 the person of Jesus that I have placed my faith and trust in, if this dude's coming to earth and saying that he came to serve, then what am I doing? It's just like forgiveness with my first book. If Jesus says we have to forgive every single time and I'm not forgiving and I'm calling myself a Christian, then what am I doing? Yep. And so for me as a, as a leader in whatever sphere of influence I'm leading, my leadership has to come from my identity. My identity has to come from my, from my faith in Jesus and who Jesus is, not from my work or sports spectrum or books or anything like that. My identity has to be that rock solid foundation in Christ. And so if my identity is in Christ, I want to live like he's living. And if he's coming and saying, I'm here to serve you, then that's how I have to be. I'm here to serve you. And he's the greatest leader that ever lived. You did a great job in this, in the book. I thought, you know, you told so many great stories. You told stories about Larry Bird and Bob Lee <laughs> and in any sports and most people that listen to this podcast are big sports people. So any sports person is going to just go, Oh my gosh, I love reading these stories, but you told a great story about Tammy. You told a mm-hmm. great story. You know, she's not at the top of the food chain. She's no. not the CEO. She's not, but yet she wore her leadership uniform well. Oh, explain, man, explain about the power Tammy had and the way she wore her uniform to you. So I met Tammy pretty early in my ESPN journey. Uh, and I don't remember exactly when, but I started at ESPN 20 years ago in 2000, in July of 2000. And uh, one of the first people I can remember meeting when I started working there, besides the coworkers, was Tammy. And the reason was because every single day when you go to work, you go to the cafeteria to order your lunch or get some breakfast, or in my case, when I worked evenings, get some dinner. And Tammy was a constant. She was always mm-hmm. there. Uh, she was basically the cashier. Who would, you know, you you go get your food, you bring it to the end of the line, and she's there at the cash register taking your order and uh, and accepting your payment. And Tammy, let me tell you something about Tammy. She knew my name before I even remembered her name. I didn't know. Wow. She said, Jason, how you doing? And I'm thinking, my gosh, she remembers me. And she sees me once a day for 45 seconds. And she remembered me. But that's not just me. You go to anyone that worked at ESPN in the 17 years I was there, they will tell you that Tammy knew who they were. And I mean anyone. Remember, ESPN has about 3,000 employees, 4,000 employees on campus. It would not shock me if I knew that Tammy knew every single person's first name. That's who she was. And so when Tammy would take your order, she'd just spend a little moment just making you feel like a million bucks. How are you? How are you doing? Oh, I love your shirt today. How are your kids? In some cases, Tammy knew many of the people's entire families. How's your wife, Dawn? How's your daughter, Sarah? That may sound, you know, like, oh, really, that's a leader? Yes, that's the most unbelievable trait you can have. Again, it goes back to caring and loving, right? 
Tammy truly cared. She loved her job and she was excellent at her job. And that's really important here. I want people to get that. If Tammy was a bad cashier, even though she was nice to us, she wouldn't have been there much longer. She was really good at what she did. And then she was also loving and caring and serving others in what she was really good at doing. And Tammy, again, not at the highest level of anything really at ESPN, but she was one of the prominent faces that everybody saw every day. If you worked at that office in Bristol, Connecticut, Tammy was there. And Tammy, to me, is one of the best leaders I ever saw at ESPN. That might surprise people. When I get ES, when I'm here, and I'm really fascinated to hear what some of my ESPN colleagues and former colleagues think of the book, because uh, this is not written in a way that's like a tell-all inside super secrets of ESPN type of book. Not my goal. That's not who I am. But it's really to not just tell stories of the people like you mentioned, the famous people that I've come in contact with, but to dedicate an entire chapter, which we did, called Lead Like Tammy. And I'm really fascinated to see what a lot of my colleagues think, because I think that's going to be the part that they resonate the most with. Because Tammy is your everyday person at whatever role, job, or place of influence that you're in, we all have those people in our lives. If we go to get coffee and Dunkin' Donuts every morning, my dad does that. And he says, I see the lady at Dunkin' Donuts every morning. She knows who I am. And we say hello, and we spend a few minutes talking, and then I leave. That was Tammy for so many of us at ESPN. But she was a true servant leader, mm. and she was awesome at it. I, lo I love that because it's so easy to go, well, I'm going to cut this on when I get the title. I'm going to begin doing that when I ascend to this destination. And, and that's where you did a really great job in the book, Jason, of, of weaving, because all of these are, they're linked together. You know I mean? You can't, she bloomed where she was planted. Now that's not the same chapter, but right. she bloomed where she was planted. She took Absolutely. the best of an opportunity and she made it. And you, you really did a great job there. And you talk about one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about. Yeah. You say spiritual leaders set the tone for their teams and environments and you challenge them with the words. And I think these are really good. I've never heard the two of these words put together. Active patience. Oh yeah. yeah. Man, that is a great leadership phrase. Talk to me about what active patience means to you. So I didn't really know what active patience was until I had to be actively patient in my life. And this took place in 2016 for me. Um, that was the year that I knew I was called away from ESPN and that I was supposed to go do something else, to be uh, doing more purposeful work, to do more for God. Uh, I didn't know when that was going to take place. And if anybody can relate to this, they know that being patient just in general is very difficult for many yep. of us. Uh, we live in a microwavable society that wants things like that. For me, I was ready to leave ESPN. And I told this story, I think the first time we spoke on your podcast about 2015, I thought that was the time to go. And I went to Dawn and she was like, nah, not yet. I don't think so. And our wives have wisdom. And that was a really crucial point for me in my journey here that my wife said, not yet. She didn't say no, she just said not yet. And so 2016 became a year for me to be actively patient. I knew it was coming. I didn't know when, but I knew it was coming for me to pivot, for me to take that next step, for me to leave ESPN, for me to go into ministry, whatever that looked like. But if I just sat on my chair for a year and waited, yep. I don't think anything would have happened. Like, I don't think 
I would have been anywhere. I just would have been right back where I was each day. And don't get me wrong, 2016, my favorite year at ESPN was 2016, working on Mike and Mike, traveling, going to events, being with those two every single day for a year was so encouraging for me. And I loved my job. I did. But the active patience came when I said, okay, I'm not looking for a job here, but I'm going to build intentional relationships this next year with people outside of ESPN and then let God do the rest. Mm. And for me, that was active patience. It was, it was going out and saying, okay, I can't control a lot of things, but what I can control, I'm going to make the best use out of. And so for me, what I could control was, honestly, I used Twitter and I would DM people that I admired. Some were friends and people that I followed and some were people that I'd never met. And I spent a year, well, probably about seven months there from maybe, I don't know, maybe like March to, to the fall of 2016. And every single day, or at least a couple of days a week, I would set up a call after Mike and Mike was done and I'd come home around two o'clock and I'd go out for a walk for an hour and I would have a call with someone. And it was really just to learn their journey. And that's where my relationship really grew with John Gordon. Just thinking of one person here, he wrote the forward to this yep. book. John and I had this call for like an hour. I couldn't believe he gave me an hour of his time in the middle of the summer in 2016. But I just learned so much. And I, I, I would tell these people that I talked to, I'm not looking to leave ESPN, but I think I'm being called away. Mm -hmm. My crazy. And then I just hear what they had to say. And so many of them were encouraging, but then I wanted to learn about their journeys. And that's where the curiosity peaks in. And it really plays in well with the job I have now being able to interview people and do a podcast like you're doing is my curiosity has just always been there. Tell me about how you got to where you got to. What were some of the great things that you were able to accomplish? Who helped you, et cetera, et cetera. To me, that was all active patience. Mm, that was me good. being active and talking to others, not knowing. And by the way, I wasn't asking for a job from any of them. I wasn't asking for anything in return other than just their time. And I tell young people all the time today, you know, cause they're like, how can I get a job at ESPN? How can I get into this world of whatever, you know, something like you're doing. And I said, build relationships, just yeah. talk to people, you know, ask for 10, 15 minutes of their time and just have the questions specifically what you want to ask them written down and ask them the questions and then just be a sponge and learn. And that was what I did for 2016. I was, that's what the active patience thing came through was just me talking to people, me asking questions. And through those relationships is where the opportunity came with sports spectrum to pivot and leave and go from ESPN into this sports ministry world. And it came through active patience. You know, we, we want to hurry the plan of God. And, so, and we learn, and so and we, we all learn the, the sad part is Jason, I'll preach about not doing that on Sunday and do it on Monday. I mean, it's just the way that it works. <laughs> and, you know, and, yeah. and it's a constant, I think David learned it when he got anointed King and it took a little while for him to assume the throne. I think mm -hmm. Abraham learned it. I think Noah learned it. I think, uh, uh, Nehemiah learned it. Everybody in scripture learns. I mean, Paul has his Damascus road experience. This three years right. before he yeah. begins ministry. I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, he's ready to go, but yet there's God, God is working on him. And yes. you, you make a statement in the book. And I thought it was really good. It's one of my favorite chapters in Hebrews. You talk about running the race marked out for us. 
You know, mm-hmm. as we all wear our specific leadership uniforms, and they all look different. Yours is an author, a podcast host, a speaker, uh, a writer. You, you do so much, Jason. Another person's may be, I'm an athletic director. I'm a college baseball coach. I'm a CEO, or I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a school teacher, what, whatever the role is. As you run your race for Jason Romano, God's name's on your front, Christ's name's on the front, Jason's on the back. As you, as you run that race, what do you think is the race as you know it now that he's marked out for you? What do you think he's created for Jason Romano that nobody else can run quite like he can? What would you say? I would say, um, you know, I think my my life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and it's a lot of people's life verses. And when I say that, people might be like, yeah, I know that verse. But the, the, the second half of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he says, in all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your path. And the path is the race in a lot of ways, right, that you're, you're running on. And that path in God's eyes is a perfect straight path that was ordained for you. You just knew it. It's, it's a straight up and down you know, drive from New Jersey straight to Florida, straight down 95. But when we look at our lives, it's a swirling, Mm, mm. crazy up and down all around obstacle course that you just don't know what you just went through often. You feel like you were in a tornado, you feel like you're in a rainstorm, a snowstorm, it's everywhere but straight. For me, that's been my race, my race that I feel like has been everywhere all around is the perfect race that God had planned for me. And I don't know where it's going to go. I do know that I do not envision myself not wanting to do the work that I'm doing for the rest of my life. I really think that this is where God wants me, intersecting the world of sports and faith. Now, I don't know if it's always going to be at Sports Spectrum. I don't know if it's always going to be hosting a podcast. I don't know if it's going to be writing more books. We'll see. If I had my, if I had something to say about it. I'll never write another book again. That's just me. (laughs) I don't enjoy writing, Mike, but I do like the process of having the book and being able to help people with it and talking about it. But I do believe the rest of my journey here, at least from, from a work perspective and, you know, somewhat of a life perspective too. Although again, my first duties are to be my, my wife's uh, husband and the best husband I can be and my daughter's dad. But intersecting sports and faith, I look at that race and I say, okay, God, now I understand why you have me at ESPN for 17 years. Not to just chase after a dream, chase, chase after a dream job yeah. and enjoy being around famous athletes, which trust me, I like that part of it. But the true purpose for me to be there was to understand how I can use sports to point people to Christ. Mm. Period. End of story. So this race I'm on is probably going to have some semblance of both of those for the rest of my life. And that's kind of a, the, the, the road that I see me running for, for who knows how long. But now I see where I am and what God has done. And I feel like I'm in the perfect, uh, I call it the sweet spot of what I was meant to do. My calling and my vocation, you know, the sweet spot is what are you good at and what are you passionate about? That's right. And you take those two and you put them together. That's really where everybody would want to strive to be. A lot of people are in jobs that, you know, pay well, and maybe they're good at it, but they don't enjoy it. They're not passionate about it. And a lot of people's passion 
maybe it's not paying them anything, so they can't really pursue it because they they are or the passion might be something that they're just not good at. And maybe they have to find another way to kind of pursue that passion specifically because not everybody can be a podcast host, although a lot of people can think they can, and that might be a passion. Maybe that's not just not where they're supposed to be. But that sweet spot is where those two intersect. And for me, I feel like right now and for the last couple of years, that's the sweet spot I've been living in. And it's it's a pretty good road to be on, at least for now. You know, if God calls me away and tells me to go do something else, that's something that I'm going to say yes to. I really am at this point. If that's not where God wants me to be, I'm okay with that. I really am. Uh, and that took me a long time to kind of be, get to a place where I'd be okay with that. Uh, but that's where I see right now where God has me. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, we, we use a phrase all the time. I heard from a, one of my spiritual mentors, Ron Dunn, God never wastes our time. He never wastes our experiences. And all of those never. Yeah. play into who we are, especially in our sweet spot and in our best. And I, and you talk about this a little bit in the book, you talk about the principle of I am third, you know, God is first, others are second. I'm yes. third. I'm, I'm, I'm last. And people that are third always help those in front of them. And I, and for those people that don't know you, they don't, they know Jason Romano, the host. Sure. Um, I would say this as a, as a no, and literally, and I don't mean this in a weird way as a nobody who was trying to break in the podcast world. And you were the first guy I reached out to, and you were so kind to go, yeah, I'll be on there with this guy I've never heard from in a city. <laughs> the people that I just know, you know, maybe a sports star, but you don't know Kennesaw, Georgia. You don't know anybody there. Yeah. And man, you did that. And what I, th I think when somebody asked me one time, they said, what, what's the lesson you've learned in all this? And I said, successful people love helping people. That's what I've learned. People like you yes. and John Gordon and, and Andy Stanley and these amazing people, Bill Curry, yeah. they are honored to help someone else because they're, they're I'm third people. They're not I am first people. And I, I want to say as an outsider, and I don't get to say this to you because I don't run into you all the time, man, you're mm -hmm. running your race really well and you're, mm -hmm. you're blessing others while you're doing it. And you blessed me. Gosh, you helped get me on the map. You really did. And I, and I appreciate that. You know, thank you. You and I both have something in common. We love the Lord. We love, both love sports. We yeah. both love our families. We've got, we've got a lot in common there. Mm -hmm. So every player that plays the game leaves a memory of them in their Jersey, right? I mean, that you think back in here in Atlanta in the nineties, golly, we had Glavin and Maddox and Smoltz and Chipper. And I mean, it was glory days. Yeah, as a Mets up. fan, I remember it very well. Mike. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't going to bring that up, but I'm glad that you do. You remember John Rocker too, but very um, much so. Yes. Yes. yes he had so. some big days up there, but you know, every player there, there's a gentleman in Atlanta. If you've never listened to the hardball podcast, you would love the heart. It's a guy named Chris Domino. The okay. best sports interviewer I have ever heard. It's not a faith podcast, but he interviews the greats of baseball. It's all about baseball. It's really good. Love it. Yeah. But they, they go back and they talk about how players are remembered wearing their uniform. How do you want those that knew Jason Romano on your team to remember how you wore your leadership uniform? those in your sports spectrum world, those that you've interviewed, those that have, they've seen, they've seen you wear your uniform in your game. When somebody's talking hmm. about Jason Romano wearing his uniform, how they, how do you want them to describe who you were as a leader? This is going to sound weird in my answer, 
but I want them to see me as flawed mm. because uh, there are no perfect leaders except Christ in my eyes. And so if they think that I have all the answers and I'm perfect, um, then I don't, think, I don't think I'm doing my job properly, to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not living as a follower of Christ properly um, because, and I've been reading a lot about this in the Bible in the past, especially during the pandemic. And, you know, one of the amazing prayers that I've been praying comes straight from Psalm 39. And it's literally every day, know my heart, search me, test me and know my anxious thoughts and point out anything in me that offends you. And so that prayer that David prayed to me is as powerful as it can get, because I want to get to a point where I am not thinking that I can do anything on my own, you know, that I can do any of this without Christ. I can't get to that. And so if somebody notices anything that I do, I hope they notice that I'm flawed and that this is not anything that I've done on my own. It really isn't. And I appreciate the words, Mike, I really do. And, and I'm so glad to have you as a friend. And, and, you know, there's certainly many people that I've had say nice things. And trust me, I'm a words of affirmation guy. Yeah, so yeah. I like to hear the nice words said about me. I do. Um, but if the first thing they say is how perfect I am or how great I am, I want them to see, listen, I'm also very flawed. That's why I love my wife, because she's awesome. And she is the first person that will point out the flaws that I have. And, you know, you don't like that in the moment, but it really is what humbles you and say, okay, good. I'm glad she notices that I'm not perfect. That's why I'm the one who's saying he's perfect, Jesus, and we need him. And so as a leader, again, I think that might be a weird answer for some people. You know, the easy answer is to say that I was a loving, serving, caring, good leader who pointed to people to Christ. But if you don't see me as flawed first, uh, then I don't think that it matters about anything else I do because flawed means to me that I cannot do this alone. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And that's really where my focus is and how I would love to be remembered, uh, certainly as a person who loved Jesus and uh, used whatever gifts I have to, to serve others and to tell others about him. Uh, but I'm a flawed human and I need Christ in my life every day. And so I hope they see that first. I hope you enjoyed that time with Jason. Here's what I can tell you. Jason Romano wears the uniform of leadership. He is the real deal. And I am so thankful there are leaders like Jason in this world who are making a difference for Jesus. And I, I, uh, I'm glad God used him is using him like he's using him. I pray that his best days are ahead. Thank you, Jason, for sharing your heart, for sharing your journey, and sharing your life with us. In our next episode, we get to sit down with a good friend, David Hodge. David has been working with his organization, Anchor Leadership, and working with companies, working with CEOs, working with great organizations, helping them be the best they can be in the place that God has put them. David also has a brand new book out called Your Legacy. And we're going to talk about not only what he does with Anchor Leadership, but about his new book. And I think you're really, really going to enjoy my time with David. Well, listen, thanks so much for stopping in. 
spending time with us. It always means the world. You could be a million other places doing a lot of other things, but you chose to be with Lynch with a Leader, and it really does, uh, man, it, it means a ton to me. So thank you. Thanks for also all of you stopping in to leave reviews, uh, to stop and even write what this podcast has meant to you on iTunes. It, it helps a ton and it helps others find their way to us. So once again, go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and the place that he put you. And I'll bet that you are going to be glad that you did. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.